Let me just go ahead and introduce myself real quick, because probably most of you in here have no idea who I am, and who the heck is this person up here, this young kid with spiky hair getting ready to teach on grace. Um, but uh, let me just tell you a little bit about who I am. My name is Jeff, my wife Crystal. Um, we've been involved with ministry for about 13 years um, at a, a very large church here in Orlando. I'm not going to mention the name because it doesn't really matter. Um, but uh, we did pretty much anything that you can think of as far as ministry is concerned. Um, we were part of a worship team. Uh, we've been singing since we met uh, 15 years ago together, uh, different churches, and um, helped leading worship, different conferences, and on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, men conferences, women's conferences, and you think of it, we did it as far as worship is concerned. Um, we also had a ministry for uh, young couples, and uh, we still have a, a heart for, for marriage, um, for, uh, for relationship, for godly relationships. We, we just think it's so, so important with what's going on as far as marriage is concerned in this country, um, especially in the church. Um, I'm sure you all know that, what the statistics are with that. So we still have a heart for, for marriages and for relationships uh, in general. So we had that. We had a group for about a year that we did and um, had our own uh, group that we led. We're part of um, senior pastors' leadership and just anything you could think of as far as leadership without being on staff, uh, we did. So we were pretty much full-time volunteers in the church, but that's fine. That's what we love to do. Um, so about uh, the year 2009, um, the year my daughter was born, we started feeling this stirring in our hearts that there had to be something more. Um, the message that we had been taught, we felt like we were going in circles and basically on a spiritual merry-go-round. And I'm sure some of you can, hear, can relate to that. Um, just felt like it was the same messages, just masked different ways. And uh, especially for my generation, it was just, you know, we got to the point where, look, we don't care what it takes, we don't where we go, we don't care where we go, we just want truth. And that's really what our heart was. So we decided in 2009 basically to step away from ministry and just kind of take a sabbatical, if that's the, the best word for that, and just took a break from church. And uh, I know Clark said that a couple times. If you have to break, take a break from church, that's what you do. And that's exactly what we did for about a year uh, or so. And um, a good friend of mine uh, asked me to help them, uh, help, asked us to help plan a church uh, here in Central Florida. And... We were like, ah, do we want to do that? Do we want to get back in ministry and go that whole route again? And so we decided to take a look at it and uh, met with, uh, with him and met with the ministry team, went to this church and big church. Again, I'm not going to mention the name of it because you probably all would know who it is. And I'm not here to, you know, rat anybody out or anything like that. But uh, went to the church and, you know, all the bells and whistles you could ever think of, you know, as far as a church and as far as entertaining and, and keeping people there. But the one thing that we were looking for and the one thing that was important to us was what is the message that's being taught. And that was the very most important thing to us. So we went there and, and heard the message, and it was essentially the same thing that we had heard before, again, just masked a different way. Um, you know, essentially, we just got to love God more. You got to be more passionate. You got to be more committed. You got to pray more. You got to fast more. You got to do all of these things to become who I never knew that. I always was. Is that, does that make sense? Um, yeah. So it was just we came to the point where, you know, we're sitting there and uh, my wife looked at me and she said, okay, this is what we're going to do. 
Um, I'm going to get up and act like I'm going to the restroom. And, uh, and then five minutes later, you're going to follow me. So I said, okay. So that's what we did. And, uh, and we left. And, and, and we're st- I'm still good friends with, with that particular individual. And um, it's just not the direction that we wanted to go. And, you know, we, we uh, pray God's blessing on that. And, you know, no, no hard feelings or anything like that. But it just wasn't for us. So we came back and we're like, and we, and we had been to Grace a couple times. By the way, we started coming here back in February of last year. Um, so we've been coming here for a little over a year now. And uh, so we'd come here a couple times and it was just different for us. I mean, we're used to the <laughs> mega church and, you know, you're greeted by 50 people before you sit, you know, sit down in your seat. And, you know, they've got basically a, a mini Starbucks in their church and they've got and everything you could think of as far as entertainment purposes. But the message was the same that we were always used to. And we came here and, you know, we bought a church of what I don't know what it was at the time, maybe 500, I guess. Um, and for us, that was small, you know, but it was just we started noticing there's just something different about this church. Um, it's just it's an organic church. It's a natural feeling. You don't come in here feeling like you've got to compete with anybody. Um, people just are just real here. They're just authentic people that we've come to find out and know who they are in Christ. And every single day are getting that revelation. So. We started looking at different churches and not really sure this was the church for us. And, and uh, for about a, a couple of months, maybe three or four months, um, we didn't go to church as far as a church building. So one day I'm looking around on the Internet just kind of trying to find messages on the finished work and the grace message. And at this point, I, I was still, we were still figuring out what this whole message of grace meant. Um, and... Uh, about a year before that, prior, somebody had given us um, the book by Joseph Prince, Destined to Reign. And everybody's ever read that book before. It's one of the best books on the finished work out there. So if you haven't read it, definitely get it. Um, so I'll be honest with you. When I first picked the book up and read about three or four pages, I threw it across the room. <laughs> literally. And, uh, because it, it upset me. And really, the feeling is, it's not fair what he's teaching you know, and it, it basically the feeling is, you mean to tell me that, and I'll be talking about this a little bit, you mean to tell me that, that it's not based on what I do, it's based on what he did. So it really angered me, you know, like, ah, it's not fair. You know, I've been living this whole merry-go-round and rat race trying to become who I already was. You know, and I threw it across the room and said, no, I don't want anything to do with the grace message. And, you know, it, I don't want to get into that and thinking that, you know, uh, there's no such thing as, you know, you can't um, sin against God and you won't count your sin against you. I don't believe that. And I, I refuse to believe that. But after months of, of uh, really, you know, praying and asking the Holy Spirit, you know, teach me, uh, is this truth? And uh, ultimately we came to realize that it is the truth. Uh, it is the truth. And, and it's not fair. You know, it, it really, if you think about it, favor is, is not fair, right? The grace, the finished work of Christ is not fair if you really think about it. So, um, so anyway, we, we started coming back um, looking for some, some messages, and, and I came across James Barron. And he was teaching a message on how to minister uh, the gospel to, uh, to the lost, to the unbeliever. And we're sitting there, and we looked at each other, and we're like, we have got to find where this person is. Wherever he is, if he is in North Carolina, that's where we're going to go. Um, because we just could not find anything out there of anyone that was teaching the pure gospel. You know, not a mixture, not 90-10 or 80-20, a full 100% percent 
finished work of Christ message, and that's what we were looking for. So, uh, so we started watching that video, and really the reason that we started coming to this church was James Barron. And, uh, and the message that he was preaching, I'd never seen somebody preach with such passion and such zeal for truth. And I just love how he breaks everything down because he is a lawyer, he's an attorney, he does it very, very well. And I'm not even going to attempt to um, be like James, I can't, I don't think anybody of us can. Um, but I just loved his passion for the word and I loved his passion to really take the veil off uh, off of the religious eyes. And I just, I love the way he teaches. So uh, he asked me a couple of weeks ago if I would teach. I, I never asked him to teach. Um, but uh, some way or another, you know, we, we hooked up and have connected and just, um, you know, have, have really gained a lot of insight from him, as I'm sure a lot of, in, of you in here have. He's a blessing to this church. And I'm convinced that what is going out of not only this room and this church is affecting the world globally. Um, and even though we're only, you know, 40 people in here, I'm convinced the message that is going out here is absolutely going to bring the greatest revolution that's ever hit the face of the earth. Because it is the truth. It's the message of the finished work. Especially for my generation, it's vital that they understand that they are loved 100% of the time apart from their works, independent of their works. So just a little bit about, about myself and my wife, um, just so you guys know. Uh, yes, I'm saved, by the way. Um, <laughs> I um, failed to mention that, um, but, um, but anyway, I'm just so, so happy to be here, so excited to be here, and uh, I'm just going to share a couple of things, what God has put on my heart uh, about the gift of righteousness, and um, how the gift of righteousness, it's a gift, it's not a wage, it's not anything that can be earned, it's, it, you can't have both, right? So, let's just pray and we'll get started. God, we just thank you that um, your Holy Spirit is here. We don't have to beg you to come. We don't have to plead for you to come. You've been here since time began. And God, we thank you that uh, by your Holy Spirit, we're going to be taught today about the message of righteousness, the gift of righteousness, that it's a gift, uh, that it can't be earned, it can't be uh, paid for. And God, it's a gift that you gave to us because of your son, because of the obedience of your son, not anything to do with our obedience. And God, we just pray that what is taught here today, God, that lives would be changed, hearts would be changed, God, that we would grow in our revelation of the finished work, and more specifically today, of the righteousness of who we are in Christ 100% of the time. Not when we're sinning, not when we're out of sin, not any of that. We're not in fellowship, or out of fellowship, back in fellowship. God, we just thank you that we are one with you in spirit all of the time. 24-7, 365 days a year, we are always in fellowship with you. We never lose that. And God, I just pray for clarity today, God, that, um, God, that my words would be your words, God, and you would just use this today uh, to teach me, uh, to teach your people today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Okay. Obviously, there is a huge uh, controversy uh, out there on the message of grace. We, we all know that. It's, it's big out there in the world. And essentially, people like me are saying it's not fair. You know, what you're teaching is not only not fair, it's not scriptural. Um, but... If you ask the average Christian, if you ask the average believer, they would agree with what the definition of grace is. 
you ask the average person, I don't care if they're Protestant, if they're Lutheran, if they're Catholic, if they're Methodist, if they're Pentecostal, Charismatic, whatever, most of them are going to agree on the basic definition of grace, which is the undeserved, unmerited favor of God. But we can all agree with that, right? I mean, ask anybody, it doesn't matter. Um, they're going to say that it's the favor of God. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to pinpoint today, or I'm going to attempt to pinpoint what the real issue is as far as the controversy on the message of grace. And it's not what most people think it is. It has really nothing to do with grace as far as the undeserved, unmerited favor of God. And this is the issue. If you talk with most believers, especially ones that are just legalistic and performance-based and you know, they want a little bit of mixture in law and grace, um, it's very, very difficult to convince them that... Um, it's very difficult to convince most Christians that God only relates to them by grace and through grace all of the time. All the time. So that's really what the issue is. That 24-7, 365 days, all of the time, in this new covenant, God only relates to us through grace. That's it. That, that's the only way He relates to us. And that really is the issue. That's where the controversy uh, comes into play. Now, some people, if you were to tell that message to, you know, that, um, you know, and, and, and really what it comes down to is the gift of righteousness. If you want to be more specific, what they're really upset about is the gift of righteousness. They think that, you know, yes, I'm righteous, you know, I, I'm righteous, but when I sin, I'm not righteous. And I lose that righteousness, and I have to do things, and they want to mask it with the doctrine of sanctification. <laughs> That's really what they do. They mask it with, yes, we're justified, we're righteous before God, but sanctification, and they call it progressive sanctification. There's no such thing as progressive sanctification. You either are or you aren't. There, there's no in-between. There's no gray area. You're either 100% righteous all of the time or you're an unbeliever. That's it. There is no in-between. And, that, and that's all of the time. That doesn't matter if you sin, if you morally sin, if you fail, whatever the case may be, you are righteous. It's a state of being, not a state of doing. It has nothing to do with performance, and we're, we're going to get into that today. So really what the issue is is the gift of righteousness, and that's really where the controversy lies. So I want to go back. If you've if you got your Bibles, go ahead and t- turn to Genesis chapter 3. I think the best place to start is the beginning, as they say. Genesis chapter 3. Anybody not know where Genesis is? We have a problem. Okay. All right. So we've, pro- I mean, we've read this verse, this this passage of scripture, plenty of times. But I'm going to bring out something a little bit different than I myself just got a revelation of, as far as the gift of righteousness and really where it all started. And it really started right here in Genesis chapter three, uh, with the fall. So I'm going to read. Um, Chapter 3, starting with verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You'll not surely die. 
For God knows that when you will eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Yes, Adam was there too. Men, just want to clear that up. Um, he wasn't off doing his own little thing. He was there. Um, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Okay, so picture this. The Garden of Eden, that's my daughter's name. It means pleasure. All right, it means pleasure. The Garden of Eden means pleasure. So God created this entire, basically this entire world for them to enjoy, to have pleasure. Okay, now he said, enjoy anything in this entire garden. And I don't know how big it is, who knows. But let's just say it's the size of, of the state of Florida. I don't know. But they said you can enjoy anything that you want to in this entire garden except one thing. Don't touch the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay? And Satan knew that. He knew that if they touched that, that, um, that, that he would have them. And essentially what he was saying. So, uh, down in, um, I guess it's verse 4. Yeah, verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. That was the first lie and the first deception ever. Right there. Right? Because Adam and Eve were already created in the image of God and in their likeness. So for the enemy to say, you shall be like God, they already were like God. So for him to say that, he, again, he, he, he knew what he was doing. So I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. Just, just hold on. Um, so the enemy knows how to keep the believer bound and confused. And basically he makes them believe you have to perform in order to become. He did the same thing to Jesus, right? When Jesus went out to, to the, into the wilderness, he says, if you're the son of God, if, then turn these stones into bread, right? He said the same thing. So essentially, he's been doing the same thing over and over again, just masking it different ways. And he tried to convince the son of God that if he was the son of God, then he had to do to become, right? But before that, remember when Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water, right? We see the picture of the Trinity right there. And God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Right? He didn't say, you know, this is my son. Uh, if you go do all these miracles, you raise the dead, you, you heal people, then I'll be well pleased with you. No, he, has not, he hadn't committed at that time one miracle. He hadn't done anything. He wanted him to know that you're my son regardless of what you do. Right? And it's the same way with, we're all, most of in here, so probably parents have kids. I tell my son all the time, Josiah, I love you regardless of what you do. Every day I tell him that. I love you because you're my son, not because of what you do or you don't do. And that's the same thing that we have to realize every single day, um, that God loves us unconditionally apart from our performance. All right? So essentially, I'm going to explain the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Very, very basic, um, because you could go very deep into that. But essentially, it, it, this is what it is. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is what the world thinks and even what the church thinks is you do righteous deeds, you're righteous. You do unrighteous deeds, you're unrighteous. That's essentially what it is, and that really is the message. If you want to kind of you know, break it down into one single thing, that's what it is. And that, it's the argument, that's the debate even in the church, is you do righteous things, you're righteous before God. No doubt about it. But the second you do unrighteous deeds, you're unrighteous. Right? That, that really essentially is the message as far as the, the, the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil. And really what it comes down to as far as we are who we are regardless of our performance. Anybody have dogs in here? Pet dogs? Okay, they chase their tails, right? Right? 
So think about that for a second. That's essentially what the church is teaching, that you've got to work to perform, to chase after something that you already have. That's essentially what's happening. And, and that's where the rat race comes in and you're always running around and running around like, what is this dog doing? You know, that's basically what most Christians, when they go to church, they wake up on Sunday morning, they put on the nice clothes, they come to church. That's what they're doing. They're chasing their tail. But if they only would realize, look, stop running in circles. You already have everything that you're ever going to need, even in eternity. You're just as righteous here as you'll be in heaven. We're not going to grow in righteousness. There's no such thing as growing in righteousness. And you lose righteousness. You're, you know, there's different levels of righteousness. And Billy Graham is up here. And Mother Teresa is up here. And we're down here on some. No. At the cross, we're all equal. Because it had nothing to do with us. It's a gift of righteousness. It's a gift. So I want to explain something. Um, and this is a revelation that was really, really big for me. Um, if you look at that portion of Scripture there, the temptation essentially was not an apple. All right. I mean, you see a lot of drawings out there, and Eve's holding a little apple. And, you know, that's not the temptation. I'm going to pinpoint what the temptation was, and this is such a, a big revelation for me, um, and hopefully it will be for you too. Essentially, what the enemy was saying was this. By eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you can be like God, independent of God. That is the temptation. And it's still going on today in the church. That's really what's being taught. Even out there in the world, you talk New Age, mysticism, all this stuff that's out there. Essentially, the devil was saying, yes, you're, you're righteous, but you can be righteous independent of God. Right? Independent of the free gift of righteousness. That's the temptation. It really had nothing to do with an apple. That was a temptation. You can be like God apart from God. That was the temptation. And it's really the lie that, that a lot of Christians still believe today. Um, and that's really where, the, um, where the, the mentality and the doctrine, whatever you want to call it, I guess it's not a doctrine, but it's a mentality of self-righteousness. That's where it started, right there in the Garden of Eden. You can be like God apart from God. All right, <clears throat> moving on here. Uh, Genesis chapter 15. I'm going to flip over there real quick. I'm going to try to go as quickly as I can here. I have so much to share, but not enough time. Uh, Genesis chapter 15, 1 through 6. Okay. Uh, Chapter 15, verse 1 says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless in the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, for you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, in that entire scripture, do you see anything in here that Abraham did to earn righteousness? Nothing. It just said... The only qualification is one word, believe. That's it. One word, just believe. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says we are the righteousness of God in Christ. It doesn't say we'll one day be righteous. Maybe we'll be righteous one day when we reach heaven. No, it says you are righteous right now because it's in Christ. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. 
And most believers, especially young adults uh, in my generation, <clears throat> have the mentality, again, that they're righteous when they're not sinning, when they're living a perfect life, which is impossible. And when they sin, when they mess up, then they're unrighteous. And it's back and forth, it's back and forth, it's back and forth. It's, you're in fellowship one day, you're out of fellowship one day. It's like you're bouncing in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out of fellowship, thinking that, you know, if I, if I just behave right, then God will be happy with me. That's essentially the message that's out there. Um, and it's really the, the reason, I don't know if you guys know the statistics that are out there, of the percentage of young people that are leaving the church. Anybody know what that is? It's about 60%. Yeah, it's, it's frightening. Um, and the reason I, I think that they're leaving is this. It's very simple. <clears throat> okay, imagine that I've got a, um, I don't know what the latest model is, but a Ferrari, basically, whatever. We saw one yesterday at the Millennium Mall. It was yellow. It was, oh my God, it was beautiful. People out taking pictures of it and stuff, act like it was their car and whatever. Um, I don't know. It's probably $350,000 maybe, something like that. Um, so anyway, just imagine if, um, if I were to give you that gift and say, hey, here is a Ferrari, $350,000. It's yours. It's a gift. I'm giving it to you. But you have to make monthly payments of $10,000 a month. <laughs> well, which is it? Is it a gift or is it a wage? So the message out there is confusing it's confusing to young, especially my generation, and, and really everybody, it's confusing. It's like, you're telling me I had this gift that I didn't do anything to perform, didn't do anything to, to, to earn, but yeah, i got to make payments. It doesn't make sense. It's, it's confusing. That's really where the confusion is. That's really why young people are leaving the church. Like, I don't want anything to do with it. I'd rather know what I'm doing is sin, and at least I know, than rather be in a place where I'm told that I'm righteous one day, I'm, righteous, I'm not righteous another day. So it's easy to, to realize why they're leaving the church, because they're confused. That's really what it is. Um, it's, it's either a gift or a reward. It can't be both. It, it can't be both. It's impossible. A gift is a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. The word gift means the transfer of something without the expectation of payment. That's what, a gift, that's what the word gift means. It's a transfer of something without the expectation of payment. Okay? A reward means the return for performance of a desired behavior. Now think about that in spiritual terms. That's really what's being taught week after week after week after week after week. You do this, you get this. You perform perfectly, then I'll bless you, maybe. That's essentially what most people have the mentality of their walk is, I don't really believe I'm righteous 100% of the time because the message is out there is mixed. Like Clark has been preaching the last couple of weeks, it's a mixed message. Um, and again, I want to reiterate this. God only relates to you through grace all of the time. All of the time. He only relates to us by grace and through grace all of the time. And I want to just real quickly, um, there's a, obviously a big controversy out there when you talk about um, faith and works. And are you justified by faith? Are you justified by works? It's a really big controversy out there. It's actually quite simple um, to really understand. Um, and the, the, the controversy is, are we justified or made righteous by faith or by works? Um, Paul talks about, in many different verses, Romans 3.20, we're justified by faith. We're justified by faith apart from works. Abraham believed God. Uh, Romans 4.3, Romans 5.1, we're justified or righteous by faith. Romans 4.5, but to the one who does not work but believes in him is righteous. All right? But on the flip side, you have the book of James, which is probably one of the most misunderstood books in the entire Bible. 
Um, because a lot of people, they read that and they think, well, James is preaching an entirely different gospel than what Paul preached. It's not true. They're actually, it's, the same, it's a different side of the same coin. That's basically, and you really have to look at it. And, and really, when, you, when, you're, when you're looking at Scripture, the most important thing that you have to understand when studying Scripture, it's a very basic word, it's context. And most people really don't understand that's how you have to read the Bible, it's context. Right? I heard one preacher say before, if you, if you take the text out of context, you're just left with a con. That's, that's basically what it is. You have to read context. You have to read the, the verse and chapter before or even the chapter and verse after. To really, you can't just take one scripture out and base an entire doctrine around that one verse. It's, it's got to be in context. All right. Um, so essentially what Paul was preaching, when he talked about works, he was addressing Jewish Christians that were trying to observe the law and at the same time place their faith in Christ. They, they were trying to do both, and, and that's really what Paul was addressing there. Um, and it's, it's really not any different than what a lot of believers are doing today. You know, they're trying to, to mix the two and a little bit of that, this and a little bit of that. And, yeah, I've got to do all these things. Oh, yeah, I have faith in Christ, and I'm justified, and I'm righteous. But I've got to do these things in order to really be pleasing to Him. That's basically what's going on, too. Um, Galatians chapter 2, uh, verse 12, Paul just addresses that. I'll, I'll read that real quick. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 12, uh, da, 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 says this, For, um, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, the Jewish, the, the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders, when they came, he drew back and separated himself. So in front of one group of people, he acted the way he, sh- he should be acting. And then another group of people, once his religious leaders, whatever you want to call it, came before him, he acted another. He said, no, I don't want to have anything to do with, with the Gentiles. I, I don't. Paul was basically confronting him and said, look, he said, you're, you're preaching two different messages. And you're acting differently than, than what the gospel is. You're, you're contaminating the gospel that I'm teaching. That's basically what was happening. So Paul had to confront him in that. Um, so, uh, Paul was against the belief that it was necessary to perform certain Jewish rituals in order to be saved. He completely believed in good works uh, that will naturally flow out of who we are, which is the righteousness of God in Christ. That's really what James is teaching. When you look at the word works, when James talks about works, he's talking about the good works. right? He's not talking about works in order to become. He's talking about good works. Things we should do naturally. When we really understand that we are righteous 24-7 all of the time, it's just naturally going to come out of us. It's just something we're naturally going to do. Where on the flip side of that, if you don't understand the finished work of Christ and the message of grace, then you're going to feel like, oh my gosh, I'm obligated to do this. And I've got to do all these things. I've got to pray. I've got to fast. I've got to read the Bible more. Blah, blah, blah. All good things. But if you think those things that you have to do to earn favor with God, that's where the confusion comes in. So just, I want to clear that up. When James is talking about works, he's talking about the good works that we should do. We're created in Christ to do good works. But when Paul is talking about works, he's talking to, he's talking to the Jewish believers that were trying to mix the two. And they were thinking, that I've got to continue to do these works, but at the same time place 100% of my faith in Christ. Right, they're, they're trying to do both at the same time. And that's what Paul was addressing. So there really is no confusion when you're talking about the gospel that Paul preached and the message that James preached. It's the same message, different audience. It's a different audience. And that's really how you have to look at it. So does that make sense? I, I just want to clear that up. I know there's a lot of people out there. That's the scripture they'll pull out of their holster. Yeah, but you know, it, it's, we're, we're righteous by faith you know, without works. Faith without works is dead. 
you know, that whole, they'll pull that scripture out. That's the only scripture that they'll pull out. Faith without works is dead, which is true. When James says that, it's absolutely true. But works he's talking about is works before men. Okay, so if I see somebody on the street and, and I know I've gotten the means to help them and I don't do it, then to that person, my faith is dead. That's essentially what James is saying. It doesn't mean that your works and your faith before God is dead. It's not a vertical thing. It's a horizontal thing. That's what James is talking about. So I just I, I want to clear that up um, as far as good works and, and that sort of thing. All right. What time is it, by the way? Anybody? We got time? Okay, good. Okay. Um, all right. So I want to end by going through Romans chapter 5 which I think is probably one of the best portions of Scripture in the entire Bible. Um, it really is the Scripture that brought revelation to me as far as the finished work of Christ, um, that I'm righteous before God 24-7, 365. 365. I mean, th- there's nothing I can do to lose my righteousness, and there's nothing I can do to go to a different level in righteousness. There's no such thing. Okay, you either are or you aren't. You're either in Christ, you're righteous, or you're an unbeliever. That's it. You're either in Adam, right? First Adam, right? Which means you're an unbeliever. Or you're in Christ. There's no middle. There's no gray area there. You're either in Adam, unbeliever, lost, separated from God spiritually, right? Or you're in Christ. There is no alternative. It's either one or the other. All right? So I'm going to go through this um, as quickly as I can, but I just want to point out a couple of things here. Romans chapter 5. Uh, starting at verse 12, and it says this. <clears throat> I'm going to break it down kind of scripture by scripture here. Verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Now, let me ask you, it might be a rhetorical question, a stupid question. How many sins does it take to become a sinner? Anybody? Zero. Exactly. Zero. Right? You don't become a sinner by sinning. Right? It, before Christ, it's, it was our nature. And we had nothing to do with it. It was because of one man's disobedience. Right? So sin entered the world through one man. Not through you and me. Thank God. Right? It entered through one man. Okay? So you have to understand that. That you had nothing to do with it. Before Christ, you were a sinner. That was your nature. Okay? That, that's just who you are. So, uh, verse 13. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Okay? Sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Okay? Um, very, very important thing you have to understand about, uh, about sin is, um, again, it really has something it has to do with, with, the, um, with, uh, with, with sin itself is you had nothing to do with it, okay? You, you had nothing to do with sin. It, it was your nature to, to sin, but when you were in Christ, you lost that nature, okay? And I'll clear that up real quick, too. You don't have two natures. You have one nature, all right? You're not, you know, in Adam and in Christ. You're not, you know, it, it, it's, you're in Christ. You have a new nature. You don't, you don't have an old nature and a mixture of the two. Um, so verse 13, where there is no law, sin is not counted against it. So from the time of Adam to Moses, was there sin in the world? Yes. But sin was not counted against them because there was no law. Right? right. Now on this side, in the new covenant, 
Right? It's the same thing. There is no law. Christ is the end of the law for those who believe. Right? It's the end of the law. So it's the same thing. So if it applied back there in the Old Covenant, how much more does it apply in the New Covenant? Right? Where there is no law, sin is not counted against you. Verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, what we just talked about, even over those who were sinning, not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now, verse 15 all the way to the end, kind of verse 20. I want you to notice how many times the word gift appears. All right? Just notice how many, how many times it, the, uh, the word gift appears. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So if it was true... Before Christ, under the law, you have to understand how much more under this new covenant is that true. All right. And the message that that really is out there when you talk to most Christians is this. Yes, you are righteous, but when you sin, then that righteousness that's in you, the life of Christ, it diminishes a little bit. So essentially what they're saying is the the the. the message that was being taught or the, the condition of the heart in Adam is more powerful than the condition that you are in Christ. That's essentially what they're saying is what was true back then is more powerful than what is the truth now in Christ. That's what's happening when they're trying to mix the two there um, as far as what your nature is. So where are we at? Verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, Adam's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. When Adam sinned, when he disobeyed, it brought condemnation and judgment to the entire world. All right? Nobody was excluded. Okay? Everybody came under that. All right? But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Amen. All right? You see that? How much more on this side, because of one man's obedience, yes. are you righteous in God all of the time? It means nothing to do with you. So how much more, because on this side, it all came in through one man's disobedience. How much more on this side, because of one man's obedience, meaning it has nothing to do with you, has nothing to do with me, has nothing to do with my performance. doesn't matter if I fast for 21 days or or pray or, you know, whatever you want to do, which are all great things. I'm not against those things. But if you think those things get you more favor with God, that's where the confusion comes in. And you continue to run that rat race and you'll be like the dog chasing his tail your entire Uh, your entire walk with Christ. So, very, very important that you understand this. Uh, Verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The two things, if 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 I was the enemy, the two things that I would attack, which he is attacking, are those two things that we just read. Um, it's the free gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace. That's what he's still attacking today. So we have to understand, and there's so much more I wish I could share, but I know we're, we're, we're short on time here, and I don't, don't want to keep you guys from, from the service. But what I want you to understand is this. You are righteous not based on what you do. You are righteous based on what he did. One time. Right, One time, you're righteous all of the time. It doesn't matter uh, e- even if you sin. And really where the confusion is, and especially with my generation, this is what happens. 
you're going along and things are going good, but you sin, you get upset, and we have to really define what sin is, right? Sin is not only the act of doing, it's thoughts, it's worry, it's fear, it's doubt. That's sin too. So most people categorize sin, murder, adultery, all the big ones. In God's eyes, sin is sin. Okay, it doesn't matter. Um, what happens essentially is they're going along and then they, they mess up, whatever you want to call it. Immediately, they think, oh my gosh, I'm not righteous now. I'm not righteous now. Now I've got to do all these things to go back to what I was. You know, they think there's this invisible righteousness ladder that they have to climb up. Now, like, oh my God, I've got to do this thing all over again. That's the mentality that I used to have myself. I have to do all these things like I'm in righteousness, I'm out of righteousness, I'm in righteousness, I'm out of righteousness. That is the crossroads. The moment that you can say, at the second that you just committed a sin, I'm still the righteousness of God, then you understand the message of grace. That's when you have it. If you don't understand that, then there's still some more revelation to come, and that's okay. We're all growing in revelation. But that really is where the crossroads is. Does that make sense? You guys getting anything out of this? Good? Okay. All right. Um, what time is it? Good? Okay. I don't want to keep you out of, guys out of the service. So um, appreciate you guys hanging in there listening to me. There's so much more I wish I could share, but um, I appreciate uh, you guys hanging out. I'm, I'm going to hang out, and if you guys ask any more questions, whatever, I'm here. Um, don't have anything else to do. So I appreciate you guys uh, hanging in there with me. God, we just thank you for this time. God, we just thank you that the message of the, that we are the, the gift of righteousness is not anything that we can do or earn to become. It's a free gift, God, that we didn't um, do anything. God, we don't have to pay you back for that. We just are the righteousness of God. And we just thank you for uh, this time together. I pray that uh, the words that were spoken here would continue to echo in our hearts and that we can continue to have the revelation of the free gift of righteousness and that we are righteous before you all of the time. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Enjoy the service.